Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wife, Janet, and our wonderful producer, Lindsay. We are streaming live from an underground bunker at an undisclosed location. No, just kidding. We are actually from Moses. We are streaming in Moses Lake, Washington. And we have Dr. James Tinsley on today. He is actually in um, all the way across the country in Virginia. And I would like to welcome him. He is a direct primary care doctor. We've had a lot of these on lately and super excited to have him on because one thing is, is you'll notice one of the reasons we keep having direct primary care doctors on is not just to promote direct primary care, but the realization that every one of them does something unique and that that is what is great. And that is what we what we like in a free market. Um, you know, we, we talk about free market healthcare here a lot. I write about it in my book. I think that's one of the solutions to to our healthcare um, pricing issues and, and overpricing and slow service is actually a free market in healthcare. I wrote a book about it. It's called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. It is available on Amazon. Download it, Kindle version. I'm working on a paperback version as we speak. Going to be done by the, by the end of the year for sure. Also an audio version for those people that are driving down the road and want to listen to it in audio form. Um, so yeah, check it out on Amazon. And one of the fixes in there is direct primary care, that um, consumers use direct primary care and free market um, solutions to um, make their healthcare better service and less expensive. So welcome, Dr. James Tinsley, to our um, podcast. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit of story. Your story is pretty common when it comes to um, DPC doctors and, and why you got out of the system. Um, I had a doctor on a few months ago, well, a few weeks ago, and basically he realized in order to change the system, he had to get out of the system. And that's yeah. kind of right. Yeah. And that's kind of what you did. So tell us a little bit about your history, you know, when you went to medical school and, and how many places you've worked and they, you know, all that history and, and that, that sad Father's Day when you were never home and your daughter said something to you. So tell us that story. Oh God, yeah, it was horrible. That was, that was the worst day, one of the worst days of my life. But um, yeah, so look, I, I went to medical school late. Um, I had to save up money and, uh, and follow my dream. Um, I didn't have money for college, so I was in the army for a little while and got out, went to medical school. So this was a lifelong dream for me, and I was really excited. My mom was an ICU nurse growing up, so I've always wanted to be a doctor. So, you know, everybody that goes to medical school, you're psyched, you're fine. Yeah, this is a lifelong dream, and you struggle in medical school. It is a long, four arduous years. And then you get into residency, and so you hit residency, you think in medical school is the hardest thing you did, and then residency is the hardest thing you did. <laughs> and you struggle for another three years. Um, so seven years of just medical school and residency, you don't even count the four years. Uh, you count the four years of college, that's 11 years total. And then you finally get out and reality hits. And you find you're not really just, you know, working for your patient, you know, to make your patient better. You're working for an insurance company that really doesn't care. You know, they're, they want, they'll tell you you're not working hard enough. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're seeing 30 patients a day. You know, they'll tell you you're not bringing in enough money. Um, although they're the ones that determine how much patients are worth. 
So, you know, they're the ones making the rules and you'll never beat them. You'll never win. You keep, you don't make the rules. So you keep jumping jobs thinking the next job is going to be better. And it's just, they're all, they're all the same. They were all the same. But so tell I don't know how many jobs I had before I finally just gave up. And one day I was, I came home and said I couldn't be a doctor anymore. My, the last year, my the Father's Day, my father said that my daughter cried and said, "Daddy, you're never home." Um, it wasn't long after that, uh, my boss said, after working twelve hour days for fourteen months, said I wasn't working hard enough. I needed to work on weekends. And that was at the VA. So I came home that night and told my wife I, I couldn't be a doctor anymore. And she said, well, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." I said, "But I can't do this." So yeah, so I was whining online, and uh, a doctor named uh, um, Henry Magalente saw me. and said, "Have you ever heard about direct primary care?" And I'm like, "No, you know, because there, in an area of 1.5 million people, there are no direct primary care doctors here on the East Coast." So long story short, I googled it. I said, "Well, why are there no direct primary care docs here? If that's such a good thing?" He, he said, "I mean, he didn't know." So I found one. The closest one was in Lynchburg, which was about a uh, two-hour drive from here. So I drove up, saw him, could not believe how easy it was. 30 to 60-minute visits, same-day appointments, unlimited visits without co-pays. You get insurance out of the way, and you're just a regular doctor. I was going to spend a whole day with the guy, and then I left at lunch because I said, this is totally doable. I came home, and I set it up. Wow. And because you're not billing insurance and you don't have all of that overhead, you probably did it kind of, did you have any, was it just you to start with or did you have any staff at all? It's still just me. Well, my wife's an RN, so she's here with me. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. That is great. So tell me the story because it is really important for our listeners and viewers to hear this because this is so common for so many doctors but what did your daughter say to you that one father's day that 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 was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back she just said she said daddy you're never home and she was crying and she was right i was i wasn't ever home i mean 12 hour days you know i'd, I'd be at work at seven and i wouldn't get home till seven and I was so how did it make you feel as um, a professional, you know, giving healthcare advice to patients that you only see for 10 or 15 minutes? Well, so that's why I was at work for 12 hours because they, they, you know, they were crammed an eight hour day, but I was there for the extra four hours, you know, making phone calls, you know, setting up, consults, you know, making sure they got their radiology, you know, imaging visits and labs. So, you know, the extra four hours a day was making sure they got their care. And unless you're making, you know, they're the extra four hours a day, they're not getting their care. But if you stay the extra four hours a day and do it, you're just going to burn yourself out. You're not going to see your kids grow up. You're not going to spend time with your wife. So you have to, you choose and I chose poorly. And so tell me a little bit about, it sounds like the frustration over and over again with doctors is that you guys go to medical school for in residency for, you know, 11, 12 years. And then when you get out, you basically have no autonomy. Is that what you're telling me? You, you, you had no autonomy over your own patients or practice whatsoever. 
No, no autonomy. No autonomy. So the VA, I mean, you're subject to the rules of the VA. I'll wait for time for a consult there was probably three to six months. I think wait time to see me was three months. Um, you have to, uh, with, with insurance companies, you have to ask to get an MRI. You know, your orders are suggestions. They're not, they're not orders. Same with labs. So I, so I right now, um, things are so inexpensive. No, well, now things are so inexpensive. It's just up to me and the patient. I just got to make it affordable for them. Right. Right. And then they got quicker access too, right? So. Oh, yeah. I, quicker access. Right. So I, I was told recently by a hospital that, um, by an employee at a hospital that physicians, you know, they go about their practice day to day. They don't know anything about the insurance companies. They don't know anything about the billing. They don't know anything about the reimbursement issues or the prior authorizations or anything like that. And you, from what you're telling me, you were dead in the middle of that. So you knew all of that. And it was basically um, tying your hands. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, you're basically, you're basically responsible for the prior loss and, you know, the patients look at you uh, as responsible for the prior authorizations and, you know, where it's the insurance companies are the ones that are holding up the prior authorizations. You can't get a hold of them after five. So if you stop to do what you're doing to call an insurance company and sit on hold for 30 minutes to wait for them to come to the phone, you know, you're making yourself late for your other patients. Uh, they'll walk out. You don't get paid. You know, it's, it's, it's a horrible system. They don't get care. You know, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible system. So now yeah, I've done, I think, one or two prior offs here for people. Um, and the pressure's off of me now because I'm getting paid either way. So I don't have to worry about getting paid. I'm just worried about getting care for the patient. And so, you know, they, they, they come on the phone with this attitude now, you know, with the prior offs, thinking that, you know, they're trying to put the onus on me. And I tell them. Hey, it's not to me. I said the company. I said the patient's paying you guys. I said this is between you and the patient. I told one lady. I said I don't give a rip if you give this lady her medicine or not. I said I made the suggestion. I said she. I said this is between you and her. She coughed up the medicine in like two seconds. Well, I think that's one thing. For one thing, if 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 you have power and you have time to to educate your patients, um, a lot of healthcare uh, from what. You know, contrary to what the popular opinion is, a lot of healthcare is very affordable. Yeah. You just, and that's what you're doing now. You're an advocate for your patient to find, to find um, better access, faster access, and a, and a lower price. Correct? Oh yeah, we've got time to shop. So I've I've done most of the shopping for some of the big ticket items. So labs, my labs. I'll just give you for instance uh, ER visit that me and my family had uh, seven hundred sixty one dollars for three or four labs. It costs thirteen dollars and seventy cents here. Um, I mean, my patients are continually shocked how cheap the labs are. Um, yeah, I'll tell. Them, and some of them they have insurance on the side. I said, well, if you want to run this through your insurance, you can. I said, I am not billing your insurance for thirteen dollars and seventy cents. And they're always like, no, doc, forget it. Um, Medications, I work through a private pharmacy here, and they get really good deals. Um, they could beat uh, GoodRx you know, half, three-quarters of the time. 
Um, some people still insist on using their insurance, but we're working on that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the re-education process. You know, they're, eventually they get tired of uh, spending all that money and fighting with the insurance company. And they come around and I get them to, I get it for them a quicker, cheaper way. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, um, about what DPC is. I know we've explained on this show before, but everybody's a little bit different. Um, I know in 2018 is when you opened your DPC practice, correct? It was, uh, well, I had a soft opening in January 2019 and really opened my doors fully in the summer of 2019. So I've been open a little over a year. Um, I'm not the, you know, we weren't trained in, to be businessmen. So I didn't really know what I was doing when I opened up my practice. I had a guy really kind of push me out of the nest in the summer of uh, 2019 and said, get your place open. <laughs> and I finally did. That was another guy, Ray Cordnoy down in uh, Florida. He goes, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. And he goes, get in there and get it open. And I did. Um, but so uh, direct primary care, uh, it's basically, this is kind of, we all have our different rules, but I give same day, next day, 30 to 60 minute appointments, unlimited visits without a copay. I do uh, take care of minor emergencies and skin procedures. So, for example, I came in on Sunday. I had a lady that sounded like she had pneumonia. Um, she could have gone to an urgent care center, but to save her the urgent care visit, I came in and saw her on Sunday. And I listened to her along to make sure she was okay, got her medicine in, and she went home. Uh, what else? You have a member. It's a, it's a membership model, correct? It's a membership model. It's a kind of like Costco. You know, Costco makes money off its memberships. It doesn't make money off what it sells on the floor. And so everything's so much cheaper on the floor. Um, so yeah, $75 a month, $150 for the first visit. And basically we do the $150 for the first visit because I found a lot of people would come in, about one third would come in and use me as an urgent care center. And that's not what I was looking for here. And the $150 kind of lets me know people are serious and staying, which is what, which is what I want. And, um, and, and for that monthly fee, they get unlimited access to you. Is that correct? Yeah, they come see me 10 times. A lot of people just come in. They'll just sit down and chat. I've had one guy, we would sit in the back and have lunch on the deck. Um, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I never have. I didn't haven't had lunch for the last seventeen years. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's been it's been really good. Um, so I don't bill insurance. If I bill insurance, you wouldn't get any of that. You'd have the average twenty one day wait to see me. You you get ten minutes with me, and you have a twenty dollar coke every time you walked in the door. Right. Um, but now, that's not doc I want to be. Right, and good for you. And um. Yeah. What are some of the other services that you would offer? You, you saw a patient, um, you saved her an urgent care visit. Well, I'll, I'll ask you some questions about that later. My EKG machine just broke, so I got to get another EKG machine. And we don't charge for any of that. Uh, you know, the EKGs are free, the nebulizers. I mean, we could charge for the medicine, but it's not even worth it. The medicine, I think the neb's only what, and you probably know about a couple bucks. Right. Maybe. So it's it take, yeah, it's not even worth the time punching that in the computer. So we just and I don't run a ton of nubs, so it's probably they're probably going to expire before I even use them. Uh, so, 
Yeah, and I'm gonna get flu shots. I'm basically gonna I'm gonna give those for like twenty five bucks a piece. And so, Janet, um, ask Dr. Tinsley about this urgent care visit on Sunday and how, you know, and how that would change a family's life on a Sunday instead of going to urgent care. Well, um, <laughs> I think you asked the question for me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, go ahead, doctor. <laughs> so, you know, she called and she's got um, some pretty uh, chronic lung disease. And so she's super high risk and you've got COVID floating around and she was missing a couple of things. Yeah, well, missing the fever, but um, and I heard her coughing and it was a really wet cough. So she's wanting to call something in, and I'm like, well, you might be a pneumonia here, and I wanted to do a pulse ox on her. So I said, look, I, you know, let me just, you know, let me get dressed. I just finished a bike ride. So I'm like, let me get dressed, and I'll see you in the office. I'm only 20 minutes from the office. So I came in here, did a pulse ox. She's fine. Uh, lungs, lungs are fine, and here pneumonia. Um, but she's had some other things going on. I just, she didn't even need a nebulizer treatment, so I just treated her and left. But, you know, they would have soaked her at the urgent care center. They probably would have done an x-ray, uh, charged her at the wazoo. They probably would have done a CBC. And they probably would have run a COVID test, which would have been a minimum $50, probably $100 or more. I mean, it would have been outrageous. Well, and he, I mean, some of the charges, the hospitals that they charge for a pulse ox, I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like highway robbery. Yeah. Then, know. You know? Yeah, I've seen yeah. some of the girls. How can they charge for a pulse ox? You just stick the thing on the person's finger. Right. And and here's the thing. I can go down to my local Walgreens and buy one of those machines for $50. <laughs> and yet they charge like 500 to check your pulse ox. And, oh and when you question them about it, they, they – they say, well, it's, it, you know, insurance covers it. Insurance well, covers it. Yeah, that's it. She's insurance. Insurance will pay it. I'm like, really? Like, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Well, and then this lady's time is worth something as well, as well as the fact that, she, you know, the worst place in the world is to be sitting in an ER or an urgent clinic with other sick people around you if you already have a condition. And, we have several clients that have called us and I'm like, you probably should go in and be seen, but you know, there's that fear factor. Should I go in? Can I go in? And so the fact that nobody's there, it's you and her um, or, or your wife to help her exposure to something is reduced. Her, oh, yeah. her experience was better. And then now you have a patient doctor relationship where you understand each other as to whether something's really critical to be seen or not. And, you know, you're dealing probably with the age group that needs to be encouraged. Okay. Maybe this is something we need to see you about rather than you putting off. Yeah. Yeah. And that was definitely something that needed to be seen. So tell us a story about, um, you had a guy not feeling well. You did an EKG in in your office, and he was in AFib. Tell us about the story and how that, you know, you might have saved his life. You saved him lots of time and money. Go ahead yeah, and tell us that story. Lots of money for sure. Um, and AFib, yeah, you're at risk for stroke. So, um, yeah, so he just said he wasn't feeling good, and he was been a little tired. Um, so I did an EKG on him, and uh, which I don't charge for, and he was an AFib. 
Um, but the rate was good. You know, I didn't need to send him to the ER. So, and pulse ox was good. So he's saturating well. Everything else was fine. He was just an AFib. So I called the cardiologist. When can you get him in? They got him in that week. All was right with the world. You know, he had insurance, so he could, you know, run everything else through insurance. Um, you know, I, I talked with the cardiologist. I started him on Eliquis, um, the blood thinner. So, you know, I got everything. We got the ball rolling and saved him a horrendously expensive ER visit. Uh, which they probably would have run another EKG and charged. I don't know whatever they charged for that. And yeah, I don't know what the what the ER bill would have been. It would have been it would have been it would have been huge. huge. Yeah, four or five thousand dollars, I'm sure. And would have gotten the cardiologist in like probably weeks. Yeah. So explain why that is. How come the ER? How come you can get him in with a cardiologist specialist faster than the ER than the ER could? Because I've I've got a relationship with a local cardiologist. This is how we used to do it. You know, we all knew each other. You know, right. we used to have lunch together, actually. So, I mean, but, you know, that, that's gone mostly. So I'm hoping with, uh, you know, more DPC docs coming back that we can get that back again. So, yeah, I remember that when I first opened up and I called my first uh, specialist, he said he hadn't heard from a family doc in 10 years. Wow. Wow. That's really sad. I said that's going to change. So, Janet, do you have some questions for Dr. Well, Tinsley? I, I'm kind of commenting about this because, to me, it's tragic that we've we've severed relationships between providers that have been making, I think, the healthcare in the United States better than other places because we had networking. We could work together. We could help yeah. each other out. And I, I think you hit something on the head when you said this, because I, I believe this is true in, in, even in our industry where we work, that we no longer have that networking and working together mentality because, you know, we're all just waiting for who's going to pay us and who's telling us how we're going to work. And so that camaraderie of working together has been severed. And most patients, when, when something they go through, um, expect like if it's a major event that you're going to have your local doctor be helping you and that's not the case anymore a lot of times your clinic doctor doesn't have privileges at a hospital anymore they might be there slightly but most of the time it's a hospitalist so the connection between the patient and the doctor is severed the connection between doctors is being severed so yeah. professionals are not patients right and that's how I knew all the specialists. We talked when we were rounding the floors. Right. That's all gone. And, you know, now that we're all owned by somebody, you know, the 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 Sentara ER doctor will refer to the Sentara cardiologist. You know, he doesn't even know who works for Sentara cardiology. He's just going to refer to Sentara cardiology. Because if he refers to another cardiologist, they're going to burn it. Yeah, we see that all the time in our community. Yeah. It's very, very sad. It, and that, that, I mean, you know, one of the goals of our podcast is to educate and empower individuals that they need to be in charge of their own health care. And one of the things that we need to do is just educate them and let them know that these things go on. Um, just because they're referred to somebody um, by their local doctor doesn't necessarily mean that that is the, the best specialist. So that's why it's important to have a good relationship with your yeah. doctor. And you can ask them straight up. It's like, look, 
you know, I want to go to the best cardiologist. I don't want to necessarily go to the cardiologist that's in this system. I want to go to the best one, right? Can you comment right. on that? Yeah, ask them, who would you send your brother to? Would you send your brother to this guy? Right, right. If I told these guys, I said, if, 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 I always tell them, if you were my brother or you were my sister, this is who I would send you to. Exactly. I mean, that's a that's a great analogy there. Great analogy. So um, speaking of, you know, building the network, that's one thing that DPC doctors are really working on. So tell me about, you know, some things that you've, you've helped educate some other doctors to kind of help them come into DPC practice and even a specialist or urologist lately. Tell us about those stories. Yeah. So I was just, I like to pay it forward. And cause I remember how, you know, how I felt when I was going to quit my lifelong dream of being a doctor. I mean, it was a low point in my life. You know, um, my daughter was, <laughs> my daughter hated me cause I was never home and, Hey. Um, yeah, my lifelong dream of being a doctor was, was in the dumpster. And, and, well, I, I see him out there on Facebook. You know, I'm not, I'm not the only one, you know, tons of, there's a lot of them out there. So when I see them, I'll, I'll throw them a lifeline. I'll, I'll tell them, have you ever heard of direct primary care? You know, I'll, I'll tell them, brother, set yourself free. You know, don't stay on the plantation, you know, get on, you know, you know get on the underground railroad and run. Yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel, man. Look at me. So, and direct primary care is not just for, um, like, because most of the direct primary care physicians are probably family practice or internal medicine. Is that correct? Yeah, and pediatricians. So, okay. Um, yeah, so this model that wouldn't necessarily work for specialists, but they could do cash. I mean, we have a cash surgery center in Charlottesville here. There's a famous one down in Texas. I think they started it all. From what I hear, they were the first I ever heard of. Surgery Center uh, of Oklahoma. In yeah, Surgery, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. That's yeah. The, yeah, I remember reading about them, I don't know, years ago. Do uh, you mind you mind for our listeners and viewers giving us the name of the surgery center that's um, local to you that, that does uh, cash procedures? Pull it up. They're out in Charlottesville. Because we, we really like to promote those. We want our, our viewers and, and listeners to to understand there's options out there and that they don't, you know, sometimes just traveling a little bit can save them thousands and thousands of Yeah, hours. these guys are uh, um, maybe two, two and a half hours from me. So uh, I haven't had to send anybody to them yet, but they're definitely in my list of consults. Uh so yeah, there's two. There's another one in Wake Forest, which isn't far from here. Wake Forest, North Carolina, Forsyth Surgical Center. There's one. So they do, they do some different surgeries that um, the ones in Charlottesville don't do. And then there are the ones in Charlottesville. It's Monticello Surgery Center. Monticello Surgery Center, perfect. Yeah, they're a little bit closer. Uh -huh. and that's probably where I would start. Um, but if they didn't do what I was looking for, I would go down to the one in uh, um, down in North Carolina. Awesome. I love that you you know those options for your patients and you know how to send them to, um, you know, get them a discount on labs or x-ray or surgeries um, and get them the best service. That's that's what's, uh, I mean, I, I think one of the, one of the, you know, Dr. Keith Smith, the, the CEO of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, he said, he said one time to me that when a doctor takes the Hippocratic Oath, um, part of that oath is to do no—that's do no harm, correct? Right. And and um, this is starting to get out there a little more now because I've heard other doctors talk about this. Um, part of that harm is financial harm, 
And when doctors send patients to a place that they know is going to overcharge them, whether it be a local hospital or a local clinic or some kind of local imaging center where they're going to charge them $3,000 for an MRI and they know that somewhere else they can get it for $400, you could argue that that's doing harm to the patient. Do you have any comment on that? Doing harm to the patient, doing harm to their families, taking money from their kids, stealing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so there's a, I'll give you another good a good example of saying my cash. There's a cash gastroenterologist here, so uh, colonoscopy can run you know twenty five hundred to three grand. I'm getting mine done for seven hundred eighty five dollars plus fifty dollars for biopsy. I love it. See, that's what I love about free markets. It's so. Janet, and I wrote about it in my book, Janet has a, a wonderful story. She's got a history of colon cancer in her family, and there's been multiple family members that have died in their 40s. So she started getting colonoscopies in her 40s. Yeah. And the last time we had it was a horrible, I'm sorry, not the last time, but the time before last, it was the last time we, when we had typical traditional insurance and things were going to be covered under Obamacare. Right. So we're like, okay. Let's get this procedure covered, Janet, and then we'll go to our health sharing ministry. So it was covered all right. We went to our local hospital, and they had no idea what the procedure was going to cost. The procedure was $5,000, and of course it was covered, and our copay was $3,000. Yeah, it was covered. It was covered. And the service was horrible. Janet stayed there for 12 hours. They kept putting her off and off and off. And a hospital is not the best place to get those things done anyway, probably. For that reason, that's not what they specialize in. Fast forward five years later, we go to a, a, to a clinic that specializes in it. It's about an hour and a half away. We drive to that clinic, and we are back home by 10 o'clock in the morning, and we paid $1,100 cash out the door. Awesome service. It was, it was amazing. I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you, well, this guy, can I just tell you his name? Dr. Keith Berger down there in Virginia Beach. So Virginia Beach, for me, is a little bit of a drive. It's probably going to be about an hour, maybe a little longer, because we have tunnels under the rivers here um, with traffic. Depends on how I hit the traffic. But when you consider I'm saving, you know, 1500 you know, maybe two grand. It's worth the drive. For sure. <laughs> true. And then I also knew what my results other I mean, he sent the results off too to confirm it, but I knew what I had my results before I left the place. You know, I didn't have to pay for another consult visit. You know, I got my results sent to me and if there was any questions I could, you know, but it was it was all up front. It there was no surprises. And right, right. Quite honestly. Uh, you know, you go through that procedure and then you're told, well, our surgeon has to take care of this or our surgeon has to, you might have to come back tomorrow. And I'm like, no, we're not taking days off from work and coming back tomorrow. This is, this is not how we take care of clients for one. I know we are patients, but you know, let, let's be honest. If that was them, how would they like that type of treatment and exactly. you know i i feel like it it also comes down to a little bit of integrity too because you know those clients have taken a day off from work or 
or taken a whole day out of their life to do this procedure. And then we're going to say, well, you know, we, you know, this, this is more important than that. So my experience, uh, the, the, set, the last time around, I, I, I will never go back. Um, and it's not that I don't like the people that help me. It's just that as a consumer of healthcare, I'm not repeating that horrible experience when I have somebody that's out there that I can pay upfront, who knows what, you know, I mean, they see lots of clients, they're, they're legitimate, they're fair. Um, and the, the whole experience is better. Um, right. Well, you got to look at it, you know, with free market, you're service oriented, you you right. rely on return business, you rely on them sending you people, you screw something up or gets out, nobody's coming to see you. These other guys, they don't care. They don't care. You know, they're, they're, the, they have people lying. They have people feeding them constantly. You know, if they're a Sentara GI, I don't I say Sentara a lot because Sentara is one of the big players here. Um, you know, they have all the Sentara family doctors feeding them. So it doesn't matter, you know. So it doesn't matter if they piss off a couple of patients because they'll have all the other Sentara family doctors sending people to them. Uh, but yeah, so this, so I, I called my guys that I've had, you know, I've had three EGDs with scopes. I had my last colonoscopy with them. I've been sending them patients for 15 years and I couldn't give them to give me a straight answer how much my colonoscopy was going to cost. They said, well, you have to call billing. And of course, billing puts me on hold for like 30, 45 minutes. And they give me this big runaround. Uh, you know, it's going to cost, I think, two grand or a plus for the colonoscopy. Then the anesthesiologist is separate. Mm -hmm. And then they don't know how much the path is going to cost. So I call the pathology department and they will definitely not give you a straight answer on how much the pathology is going to cost. And their specimens they say are probably $150 a piece, which I know darn well, they're only $50 a piece because that's what burgers car charging across the river. Well, and here's my suggestions to um, individuals or clients or, or consumers of healthcare: when they call a place and they can't give them a price, don't go there. Right. And I'm, right. And if they can't give them a straight price, then don't go there. And if they say, well, it depends on how the doctor codes it, and it depends yeah. on this, that, and the other. Yeah. That's the first excuse they gave me. Depends yeah. on how it's coded. I said, no, it doesn't. I said, it does not depend on. I said, I'm a family physician. Right. It does not depend on how it's coded. And that's when they went. <laughs> Wait a minute! I'll be right back. <laughs> right. And it does seem that the system, these systems we're trying to navigate, they don't like having educated consumers. So when you and I are talking about these things, those hospitals, those healthcare entities, they don't like these things exposed. They want non-transparency. They oh, can yeah. hide behind that, and that's what I don't want to happen. I want to expose it for what it is. I want to make consumers make sure consumers get the best care at the best price they can. Yeah, well, you know, all my patients, I can't keep them all out of the ER. You know, I can only see and treat about eighty percent. I can only treat about eighty percent of the stuff I see. You know, some people end up in the ER regardless. Uh, but I tell them bring their bills in and I'll price what things should cost on the bill to bring it down. That's that. awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Um, so one thing about when you talk about free market and you've got skin in the game when you don't want to make a patient upset, right? Right. And you were talking about this um, Cetera. 
one of the reasons that they don't worry about it is because if you think about it, they're, they're the patient, and I talked about this last week on our podcast, the patient is not their customer. The insurance company is because they're paying the bill. So they don't care because the insurance company, they signed some kind of monopoly agreement with that insurance company. They're the only place those patients can go. The doctors can treat them as horribly as they want. And I'm generalizing here. I am not personalizing. Right, right, right. Because you go to medical school to to help people, but they're they're so burned out. You know, they've got a mountain of work and they got five minutes to do it. And you have to, you have to, you have to triage. You have to spend more time with the sickest person. If you're not as sick as that person, you're not going to get as much time. I mean, time can either be created or destroyed. And that's just the facts. Yeah, and that's right. Box doctors into that. They put doctors in that, doctors in that box. So, um, but you're right about, but what's funny about hospitals working for the insurance company is that the insurance companies pay whatever the hospitals ask. Right. Well, they do have a discount. They they overcharge. They inflate the price, and then they they write off part of it. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Then they write it off, and then we pay what that's written off. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. They're not really writing it off. They're they're just charging. They overcharge in the first place, and then yeah. un, unfortunately, those of us that don't have traditional insurance, we're the ones that that get overcharged, and we pay that. It's called cost shifting. It's it's that simple, right? right? Well, I. I you know, it's unfortunate that we've came to this this place because I guess I was blessed growing up in a community where the local doctor was able to see his clients. He didn't have to ask you, you know, a whole checklist of questions on his, his computer as to what was going to get him paid, you know, like, right. you know, I mean, the ridiculousness of, you know, what those questions are, whether they're important to whether the care of the patient is really being taken care of, Right. Right. And the fact that, you know, even as, as a teenager, you know, if I needed my physical, he gave the physical, if I needed to have, you know, an x-ray, whatever. I mean, it was all, we knew who he was, he knew who his patients were, and we didn't have this craziness of, you know, well, gosh, if I go in, I'm going to be broke. I'm going to have to sell my firstborn's leg or body part in order to, you know, pay for it. And that to me has just kind of, made healthcare almost, um, I don't, I, I guess I'm kind of lost for words, but you well, know, if it's, not, if it's not affordable, it's not accessible. Right. Exactly. Right. And so now we have people that, you know, need to have needs met, but they can't even talk to their doctor when they go in. Right. Because they only get maybe one or two or three questions in 10 minutes. Right. If that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then we slap them with a big bill and say, there you go. You're out the door. Yeah. Bye. See ya. I'll see you back in two weeks. Right. So yeah, yeah, my notes aren't five pages. Yeah. My notes are maybe a half a page, three quarters of a page. My physical physical will run over a page, but that's because they're complete physicals head to toe. Yeah. And you run, you have a relationship with that patient and that's one of the, you're not just checking off boxes to get paid for things. So, you know, when you read those notes again, if you need to follow up with them, you read those notes again and it comes back to mind, right? Yeah, yeah it's pertinent information. And um, also, since I know my patients well, I can do a lot of stuff over the phone. So I know if, like the lady that had a cough on 
Sunday, I knew I needed to see her. But if somebody else has a cough, I don't necessarily need to see them. Right. Right. Yeah. So do you think this is a a transient phenomenon, this growth of, of direct primary care and physicians getting out of getting out of the system type medicine and going into, you know, more of a free market type? Do you think this is a transient thing or do you think this is a future? I think if nothing changes, I think it's the future because we're growing at an ex- exponential growth rate right now. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think right now insurance companies don't necessarily see us as a threat, but, you know, they're the ones with the big lobbyists. I mean, they could pass some laws and squashes right now they're stopping us from using uh, HSAs, health savings accounts. Um, you know, they have the lobbyists and they have Congress. So, I mean, they could outlaw us in a, in a nanosecond. I want to say, maybe you can help me with this. I want to say there's a bill in Congress right now to, to be able to use HSA accounts for DPC monthly reimbursement. And I think it passed, but I'm not sure about that. Is that true? Do you know? No, it's. I don't think it's passed yet. I think it's like a committee. Yeah. Um, okay. But they also wanted to restrict how much I can make. Interesting. Yeah. yeah and you, you, my salary. Yeah. So, yeah mean, you, know, you know who put that on there? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Follow the money. I mean, yeah. So they, if I take HSA money, I'm gonna have to take a cap. So I probably won't take, well, right now I, I'd be okay, but I'm probably not going to take it just on principle because I don't believe that the government should be telling me how much I should charge. I love it. And that's what I love about doctors that go into DPC is you guys base, you guys, um, not that you don't want to make a living and I'm a capitalist. I got nothing wrong with somebody yeah. making a living and making a good living, but you guys really are basing um, your decision on principle. And there's a lot of doctors that get stuck in the system, and I don't think they necessarily like the principles they're living by, but they get stuck in the system. And I, I really, really am glad that there are doctors out there like you to, to get out of the system and to help others get out of the system. Yeah, and that's part of the problem with doing what I do is if a doc left, we have such horrible non-competes that you pretty much have to leave the area. I mean, I... I was with the uh, Tidewater Physicians Multi-Specialty Group a long time ago, and my non-compete was 45 miles from any of their offices, and they had offices you know, all the way up in a town called West Point, which is about a 45-minute drive west, and then way down in Virginia Beach, which is southeast of here, about an hour's drive. So I pretty much would have had to leave southeast Virginia. Right. Um, but I found a job that didn't compete with that. So basically I just had, I left community care um, and ran out my non-compete. But so docs are stuck, you know, if they, they want to do what I do, they have to go to a strange town where nobody knows and start all over, which makes doing something like this really hard. Um, so yeah, like Riverside, another big hospital group here, they have a 60 mile non-compete. Uh, Centera, I'm not sure what their non-compete is, but I'm sure it's just punitive. Um, they all are. And I want to say that some there's some legislation involved I've been following, too, with some of the DPCs, that there is legislation about trying to do some of those non-competes. Is that true? With the DPC? Well, the, the DPCs, there's some lobbying about trying to get rid of some of these non-competes, that they're just, they're, they're just too um, over-encompassing. Right. So when I first got out of residency, they had a rule of thumb. The rule of thumb was every... 
every mile you moved away from your practice, you lost 10 patients. So the non-compete, as a general rule, was five miles. You had to move at least five miles, so you lose at least half your patients. And that's pretty much what all the non-competes were. Um, but about two or three years after I got a residency, I started seeing the bigger non-competes. The first one I saw was 10 miles, and I refused to sign that contract because that was in Richmond, and that was with HCA. And I refused to sign it because 10 miles was the diameter of the city of Richmond, which basically I would have had to leave Richmond. So I was telling them to stuff it, and I wasn't going to sign the contract. I went with somebody else. Which was that, that was the beginning of my job jumping career. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, you know, please educate you know, maybe some of the doctors that are out there thinking about DPC, but I guess one of the things is, is that you can decide not to, not to sign a non-compete. That's probably your best option. Is that correct? Yeah. You can tell them you don't want the non-compete in the contract, but then they can also say, well, we don't want you. Yeah. I've, I've, I've talked to some docs where they've taken the non-compete out, but I've also talked to some docs where they didn't get the job. Right. So tell us, because your services are so affordable and people are so used to hearing how expensive it is to go to the doctor and how expensive healthcare services are, you have actually been asked by people, are you a real doctor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was one of the hardest things about opening this up. People thought I, I was uh, – the people thought I wasn't a doc. <laughs> they weren't coming in. So I actually put it on my business card that I am board certified and state licensed. <laughs> Um, so, um, what is the name of that group? There's a, there's a, uh, company that has, uh, concierge doctors here. I can't remember the name, but they're a national company and they charge 150 a month and I'm $75 a month. So I'm basically cost the same as half a cup of coffee a day and way less than half a pack of cigarettes a day. Right. So people spend $75 a month and they asked, I remember I was on Facebook and they said, don't talk to this guy. He's not even a real doctor. I said, I am a real doctor. I said, you can Google my license online. I've never been sued. I said, I'm a real doctor. I said, here's my NPI. I put it on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were able to get out of the system. There's a lot of doctors that don't. And, you know, in our um, pre-show call, uh, you, you kind of said it was a Stockholm syndrome. Can you, can you elaborate on that about these physicians that are stuck in the system? Well, yeah, most of these guys, I mean, I was like that. So you don't think, since you all you've ever done is work within the system, and there's really, I mean, there's not a lot of direct primary care docs out there now. We're getting there. I think uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, there's 35 docs, DPC docs. Um, but you don't think that there's any other way to do it, and you can't see that, that or that they'll think, I've seen them think that this is too hard. They have a lot of reasons not to do it. You know, and this is hard to do. If this was easy to do, we'd all be doing it. Um, and it, it's, there's a risk. There's a risk that you'll fail. Um, so you, you have to open up. You have to start your own business. You have to run your own business. I was um, doing some of the financial stuff before I called you guys. Uh, and that's you know, my least favorite thing to do. Uh, I want to be a doctor. I didn't want to run a business. But that's right. what you got to do if you're going to do this. So they have all kinds of reasons not to do this. Um, but, you know, they're excuses. So the, the other, only other option is to stay in and work for the insurance companies. But that's their comfort level. You know, their comfort level is, is being a slave to insurance companies. 
That's, well, I can say that for Sean and I, that was quite a blessing to walk away from being stuck to the insurance. I would much rather deal with clients and patients any day of the week than having to try to finagle away for an insurance company to pay for a service that had already been Yeah. He holds the money, holds the power. Right. Yeah. Let me tell you a liberating story. When we got out of insurance, um, the last insurance that we, we stopped billing was um, Washington state Medicaid. And, you know, it's everybody's fear that, you know, when they say they, when any insurance company is going to take back money, it's just everybody's fear. And, and when are they going to take the money back and all that? So I, um, was on the phone negotiating with Washington State Medicaid and they were going to take back money from, I don't know, four or five years, yeah, something they, like that. They overpaid on gloves. and they, so- Yeah, they overpaid and that was oxygen, I believe. No. Okay. And then anyway, it was really liberating when they called me and um, I got to negotiate with them and I think it was like $12,000 and I told them, I said, look, I'll give you $4,000. And they said, well, that's ridiculous. They said, we'll just take it out of your next check. And I'm like, uh, guess what? I don't get any more checks. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, and so they had to get, it was beautiful. I love it. And I, and I love telling the stories to, this story to doctors and pharmacists, anybody trying to get out of the system. Right. Because you're always so fearful of those people. But I was in charge. And I told them, I said, right. look. You either, and they got their attorney on the phone and the attorney was negotiating with me. And she said, I can't believe that I'm doing this. And I said, (laughs) yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. She says, so she says, I said, I will write you a $4,000 check. Or if you want me to pay that $12,000, I will pay a hundred dollars a month for the next however many years. And I might go out of business next month and you might not get anything. She goes, well, if I sent you a a release right now, would you sign it and say you'd write me a check? I said, yep. Anyway, it was so liberating. And that to to me, it's not about, you know, Jan and I do well in our pharmacy and we don't bill insurance. It's not about, um, you know, even though we are thriving financially and it's not, it's more than just survival. To me, it's about liberty. It's about me. Yes, it's freedom from the insurance companies. It's between us and the patient, and we love what we do. And a lot of pharmacists cannot say that. Yeah, I, I guarantee you they're not happy. I mean, I've talked with pharmacists. I remember, you know, 15 years ago, I used, I used to love chatting with pharmacists, but now you talk to them, and they're they're miserable. They're miserable. They're not happy at all. I mean, most of the pharmacists I know from the mom and pop, the mom and pop shops are gone. I really miss those guys, but. Um, you know, it's funny. I had a guy, a, a, a drug rep in here and he goes, Dr. Tinsley, if, you, if your patient's been coming in, you know, this is when COVID just started. I'm like, nah, I said, they're all home scared. They're, you know, nobody's coming in. And he goes, well, aren't you worried? I said, no, I get paid every month. I said, I'm getting new <laughs> patients every month. I said, my business is growing. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, you know, one of the things that was beautiful about DPC, you know, is you guys already did video conference and, and other ways to use technology to see your patients. And, and, you know, when the COVID thing happened, you see these offices bragging about their tele, their telehealth stuff. But the reality of it is you guys have been doing it for years. We've always done it. Yeah. Nothing's changed. There's somebody asked, I know they were, I was talking about it. I was like, they were like, Oh, we're doing telehealth. I'm like, yeah, I've always done that. <laughs> right, right, right. 
<laughs> yeah, I was talking with a guy on Facebook uh, last night about that. He's trying to show me all this new stuff. Like there was this telehealth thing that we'll order labs. And I said, dude, I already do that. I said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, but they order labs. I said, I order labs for people. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I think as a patient, I want to go to a provider who's happy, right? I want to go to somebody who's really excited about their job and loves what they're doing because that's where I'm going to get the best care. I'm going to, I'm going to go to somebody who is happy with their practice in their life. And that's the person who's going to identify problems with me and, and like to take care of me because it's not a drag to go to work. It's not taking him away from his life and family. He's super excited to be there. And oh, yeah. so that in itself to me is a huge motivation to any of those providers out there that haven't taken the leap. If you want to live again, get outside of that box and start running towards a DPC model. It's like uh, it's like the Hobbit. You have to take that first step out the door. Yep. That's the worst one. Yep. That's so true. So Janet, do you have any um, final questions for, <laughs> for Dr. Tinsley? I'll just, say, I'll just say it for the docs yes. today. I had three patients today. All three of them called. They got same day visits. I spent all the time they wanted with them. They were out the door. Um, all of them are happy. Another one called. Uh, you want to call it telehealth? You can. Um, actually, she didn't call. She texted. And then she sent me a picture of the cellulitis on her arm. And I called her antibiotics in. So, I mean, we aren't doing anything different. This is what we used to do probably, you know, 20 years ago. Except for the picture on the phone. Yeah, right. right. I, I I love it. And yeah, um, I can tell you, you love what you do and you have a passion for what you do. And I'm sure, you know, your patients see that. And that is just, that is just awesome. I love to see doctors like yourself that will step outside the box because um, we, we need doctors for sure. And we need doctors that are willing to, you know, buck the system a little bit because the system needs change for sure. Yeah. And I make house calls again. I love it. Right. Yeah. So in the last couple minutes, Dr. Tinsley, to wrap up our, our show today, uh, what are your parting words for the show? And, and how, how can people find out more about you? Uh, my uh, Facebook page or my, or my uh, website's on the bottom of the screen there, lighthousedpc.com. Uh, if you want to call, you're welcome to call 757-586-3050. I answer any questions. I've had people that, that aren't sure about signing up. I don't charge for people that just want to come in and chat and take a look around the office. I've had a lot of people do that. Um, I guess they want to see if I'm a real doctor. Um, <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> but yeah, I don't charge for people that just want to poke their head in the door, take a look around. I mean, that's no problem. Uh, it's very relaxed here. There's nobody in the waiting room. Um, it just doesn't work out that way. And I love what I do again. Yeah, awesome. I would love to have all my colleagues say the same thing. So if there are any doctors out there watching this, you can please give me a call and I'll point you in the right direction. There's a whole Facebook page full of docs like me that will help you out as well because they help me out. Awesome. We love it. We love it. So, well, thank you for listening and tuning in today. As always, I am streaming live on my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. You can also find us on all the major podcast forums. We should be there. This episode should be there tomorrow. iTunes, um, SoundCloud, 
uh, Google Play, all those, iHeartRadio, all those, your favorite podcast forums. So um, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe and comment. Please, um, we're we're getting our YouTube channel growing there, and and we we um, we love having the engagement. If you guys would like to see a certain topic, please let us know. And Thursday, um, stay tuned because we will have Cheryl. She is a personal trainer, personal health coach, and she has a gym over in um, Western Washington, and she can't open the gym, and it's really financially hurting her. So we're going to talk about talk about how the COVID restrictions have, have really hurt gym owners, and so don't miss that. We'll be streaming that live Thursday at 8 to 9 p.m., 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. So stay tuned for that. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in.